Welcome aboard for Air Trail Busters. This is your captain speaking. Our flight time will be about six hours through this rough and rugged terrain. Make sure you have your seatbelts fastened as we're going through a rough patch here. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Trailbusters podcast, where we talk everything outdoors and adventures. I'm Ethan. I'm Bing. And I'm Will. And this week we're going to be discussing all sorts of airport mishaps. Uh, have you ever been on a flight and just had everything seem to go wrong? Delay after delay, um, rerouting maybe, you have to stay at a hotel or something like that, and just gets thrown off? I think Will's got a great story to start us off. Yeah, that's right. So this uh, episode idea came from my own misfortune, and I guess you know what they say when life gives you lemons, right? Make a podcast about lemons. So oh, absolutely, um, yep, <laughs> that's the thing, right? So um, yeah, I was visiting my mom. I got vaccinated. My partner and I got our second dose, and um, we we had this idea for a long time that we wanted to see my mom because you know hadn't seen her in like almost two years, and her health hasn't been great. So we. Uh, had some credit with American Airlines, and what we ended up doing was uh, flying out on a Saturday. And uh, let's just say that flying during flying is never, you know, that easy. Some people love it, yeah. some people hate it. Never that easy, in my right. experience. But flying right now with everything going on in the world with COVID and all the restrictions, it's a lot harder. So one of the reasons it's harder is because you need a COVID test in order to fly internationally, which makes perfect sense. Totally support that as a, as a restriction. The complicated aspect of that, at least for us, is that the test that they require, at least American Airlines required at the time we flew, is this one that takes 24 to 48 hours to get the results back. And American Airlines needs you to have done a test 72 hours. So for those of you not doing the math, it basically means you ha- if you get it with enough time, you only have about a 24-hour window in which it's viable. So if, for example, your flight were to get delayed by, say, a day, you're screwed. You have to get another test, and that takes 24 to 48 hours. So if you miss that flight and they need to rebook you for the next day, which is what almost happened to us, you could end up with a super big delay. Um so what happened for us was we got to our airport like with tons of time. We had like three hours to kill. We sat at the airport. And just as they were about to begin boarding, they said, uh-oh, flight's been canceled. There's thunderstorms in Chicago. And it turns out that American Airlines has all of the flights routed through Chicago, like tons and tons of traffic. Mm-hmm. It's like their headquarters, I think. Or if That's not that, crazy. it's like a major hub. So we freaked out because a lady was behind the counter was basically saying, you're going to get reroute. We can't reroute. You're going to have to come back tomorrow. And Teddy and I are like, we literally can't. So they did this like crazy Hail Mary to the end zone thing where they, they were like, okay, we're just going to put you on any flight because once you're in the flight, like, like once you've gone on your first flight, um, you're, you're good kind of. So, uh, or you don't have to show another test once you like gone through, uh, I guess. So um, I guess it was either that or we could have spent the entire day at the airport in the air, like past security so that we didn't have to go back through the COVID test. Just one question about that. Like once you got on the flight, I think, is it because you're in the States already, you can fly domestically without the the, uh, report? I think what it is, is that the people checking are the ticketing agents, not anyone else. So we didn't have to show COVID test. Um domestically you don't but actually you don't have to show it at the gate i guess i don't think you do i don't i don't remember doing that 
Yeah, I don't think you I know do. there there's there's also additional security for crossing the border, at least coming back to Canada. So yes, I don't know if that is if a thing. that applies as That's well. That's a whole other thing. That was on the way back. We encountered that. It wasn't that it wasn't as bad as we were anticipating, but that was a whole other aspect to this trip. But anyway, like we, we basically had come to the conclusion that we needed to fly and the the lady who was like doing the rerouting kind of agreed. So she sent us to Dallas, Fort Worth, which is if you think about where we're headed, Portland, Oregon, Dallas, Fort Worth, <laughs> Texas. Doesn't make, yeah. It's basically flying due South when from, from Toronto. Space. Yeah. From yeah. Toronto. So it doesn't make sense. So, um, anyway, we flew to Dallas, got in and like late afternoon and our flight out of Dallas was like at 11 o'clock at night. It was like a red eye. 11 o'clock comes and they say our flight's been delayed for maintenance reasons. People were in line to board the plane when they made that announcement mm, and then brutal. 15 minutes and then 15 minutes later, again, maintenance, 15 minutes. This went on until not in kidding two in the morning, at which point they finally said flights canceled. Sorry. Uh, yeah. And then we were like, okay, uh, what do we do? And they're like, well, unfortunately, there's no more flights tonight, and we have no hotel vacancies. So you have to just spend the night in the airport, um, which was a first for me. So Tay That's and I rough. like wandered. Yeah, we like wandered all around. Oh, and by the way, we were so bored at the Dallas Fort Worth airport because we had to wait for so long. We started like riding the the monorail they have there around in circles just to like have something to do. <laughs> and I had played my Switch so much that I was just like sick of it. And I don't know. It was, it was pretty, things got pretty bad just with the boredom factor. But anyway, we ended up spending the night in the airport, which is not a fun thing. Um, but a couple of lessons. One is an un kind of an advantage to not checking a bag is if this kind of thing happens, you are actually pretty set up. So Teddy had like all of her clothes. She actually had like a picnic blanket. She had all of her toiletries. I had nothing. Um, and we were able to get, make a little like blanket fort in the airport like seating area and kind of hang out. <laughs> wait, um, wait, hold on. You didn't, you, you had nothing? Like like you, you went full savage mode and no toothpaste well, and toothbrush? I, I had everything in my check bag. I had everything in a checked bag that I didn't have access to. <laughs> okay. So, so that's... That's one thing I learned a long time ago is don't never bring checked luggage if it can be avoided. Yeah. yeah. And even if you do, always bring like a day's worth of stuff in your carry-on if possible. Totally. Yeah. And I oh, learned yeah. that even more because like when we finally, so basically what happened is 2 a.m. and then we had to spend literally the entire day uh, flying out at like 6 or 7 from uh, Dallas-Fort Worth the next day. So we spent almost like 20 what would that be like 24 hours or something in D Dallas Fort Worth airport, like so much time. It was nuts. Um, but when we finally got into Portland, they couldn't find my bag for the longest time. And we were almost going to have to go home and say like, we couldn't find it and go back, not home, but go to our Airbnb and me having worn the mm -hmm. same clothes for like 36 hours or something wild. Cause we were, you know, if you consider when we left home, plus all the way to the airport, plus everything. Um, but no, they, they ended up finding it. But the whole thing was like really not fun, really not cool, uh, not an enjoyable experience. Would not recommend doing that if you can help it. Um, and yeah, definitely big takeaway for me. Checking bags is not not really what what you want to do if you can help it, like like Ethan said. And um, also, well, here's here's yeah. the here's the thing. Here's the thing with check yeah. bags, like. I don't personally check a bag. Like I, I go full carry on, maximum um, dimensions and everything, and stuff it to the brim. But at the same time, like if everyone's doing that, you're not going to have any carry on space um, to put your stuff in. 
Like so, yeah. <laughs> so my my strategy is always similar to Bing's. I bring a carry on. Uh, I stuff it to the brim using a carry on that's as big as I can fit to like fit all my stuff right. Um, and then you're also allowed to have usually like. Um, you got personal a things, or, or I'll have yeah. I'll have like a detachable, like small thing that you can bring to your seat and store under the seat in front of you. Um, that'll have like my laptop, my switch, um, my phone, headphones, stuff like stuff that'll entertain me on the flight. And then my carry on. What I do is when I get to the gate, as soon as they, because they always have too many people bringing big carry ons. Yeah, they always ask for people to check into the gate, and I just do that. And then you don't have to bother with shoving it in the overhead compartment uh you get the can you get the is basically like being able to have a check bag without having to worry about what like having to pay check bag fees and without having as much concern of like your flights mess up and your bag is missing yeah you know that's 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 funny it's i I do quite the opposite i i use a, a duffel so it's not a wheelie or anything like that so they usually pick on the people that have like suitcases that have wheels and stuff like that so i never get called for like a volunteer check bag or a mandatory check bag and i try to get my ticket as close to like you know boarding first as possible um sometimes i have priority sometimes i don't so i try to maximize and play that game uh to board first (laughs) even though there's zones and everything like I, i try to play that game as well my social anxiety hits too hard <laughs> to ever have to stand in the aisle, even though I know everyone else does it. I hate the having to stand in the aisle, especially if you can't put your bag up right above your seat and you have to like shuffle past people uh, yeah, to get yeah, to yeah. where your bag is. Like that just gives me so much anxiety. I'd rather just have it stored under the plane and not worry <laughs> about it. So if I can't fit it under the seat, it's I'm going to find a way to have them check it for right. me. Right. No, that makes so- sense. Big, I want to hear more about your strategy because, like, you're saying you are you, you do you do air miles? Like, how do you get good seats? Like, do, or do you just are you just willing to like cough up like whatever eighty bucks or something to get a better? So CSI? there's two two things. Like, I used to fly for work quite a bit. You rack up a lot of points, and these points go to your personal account. And whenever you basically book another flight personally or on business, you can use that status if you get status, uh, and then you get priority boarding and stuff like that. The second thing is that if you don't have status is you kind of look at the plane and kind of judge how big it is, what kind of seating it is, and then you kind of split it up to like how many zones it's going to be um, going to be on that on that flight. And you kind of want to see like, hey, what's the first zone that will be boarding first after priority? And you try to find the seats or try to you know gamble on the seats that have that cutoff zone. So say like you're on row 34 and that's zone three, maybe 33 is zone four. So you kind of chop that up a little bit and, and gamble is like, hey, is this seat going to be in zone three or zone four? Or you can just, you know, make sure if you board in the, on the back of the plane then you can say like, I'm going to be boarding the back of the plane. I'll be boarding first type of thing. I think the benefit to Bing's strategy over mine is, um, he would actually win out in the case of like you guys where you're stuck in Dallas. I don't know if I would have got my bag while in the Dallas Fort Worth airport. Right. I might have been SOL there. 
Yeah, definitely their advantage, like keeping everything on you. Like you're less, you don't need to wait for anybody, you know? Yeah. You've got your own, you've got total control over your stuff. Exactly. Like here's a good story that I had actually uh, around just transfers in general, because I think I was flying back from Barcelona and it was, I I had a transfer through Munich and then go through Paris for some reason. And then I went flying back to Toronto and Basically, my flights departed late and my connection time decreased from like, you know, two hours going through like the EU zones and stuff like that to like 30 minutes. I'm just like bolting through the airport from one end to the other, and especially in Paris. I bolted from one end to the other, knowing that, hey, if I don't miss my if I miss my flight, it's going to be another day. Um, oh man! And the fact that I and Ooh. I had to pick up. So for the people who actually checked up bags, checked in bags, they had to pick it up and then carry it across, uh, like the EU. I'm getting out of the EU zone type of thing, and then recheck yeah. it in. Uh, I'm not sure anymore, but it used to be like that in the past. Uh, but I had everything on me, and I just pretty much bolted through the airport, uh, catching that flight. So I didn't have to like you know wait for my bags. And, and recheck them in and stuff like that so that was kind of a benefit of just having everything on me is like i could just you know bolt through the airport and make any adjustments as i need with everything on me yeah that's it isn't it yeah you're just able to like mm-hmm. breeze past all the other plebeians with their heavy checked bags and their it's funny because kids. i think i think when i was at munich um with this uh this person asked me, he's like, hey, is this all you bring? He's like, yeah, that's pretty much it. And it's like, wow, how efficient. It's so German of you. Like, oh, such a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> but don't you? I, I actually, I I have had the um, carry-on workout in my favor before once. Um, I had a flight from, um, I was down visiting, this was when I was still in, I think I was living in Barrie with, like, still in high school age. Uh, with my family in Barrie at the time in Ontario. And um, most most of my, like my dad and my siblings and stuff still lived in and still do live in South Carolina. Um, so I had flown down to visit them for a little while. And on the way back, my mom, uh, who I lived with, had gone to Massachusetts, which is where all my grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins, like my extended family is, and I'm originally from. So I did this flight triangle of going from Barrie to South Carolina, staying there for a little bit. And on the way back, I flew back to um, Hartford, Connecticut, which is the closest airport to where they are. It's like 20 minutes from where my grandparents are in Massachusetts. So they were going to pick me up there. uh, And then we were going to drive back to Barrie, which actually, incidentally, for any Canadian listeners... Just a heads up, uh, I've heard that that can be a very bad move because the U.S. border doesn't like it when you fly into the U.S. without a return ticket uh, and only traveling on like a tourist visa, which is like standard entry visa. Yeah. They can get very grumpy about that. Uh, So be careful. As a U.S. citizen, they don't question it. So I was fine. Um, But anyway, so on my flight, this was around Christmas time, I think. And I flew from South Carolina, a layover in D.C., and then uh, up to Hartford. And, of course, terrible snowstorms hit. And it was one of those cases, just like you in Dallas, Will, delayed, delayed by an hour, delayed by an hour. I think it was like 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning. They finally canceled the flight. Um, 
luckily for me, I got put up in a really, really fancy, I got put up in like a double queen bed room at the Hilton across the street. Nice. Um, and got like a decent meal voucher. I think this was far enough ago that they like hadn't cut back too much on those type of expenses. So I had like a nice room, a good meal voucher. I think I had like a steak dinner. Um, and relaxed with the carry-on bag that I had with me. I had all of my stuff in it. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, which was really nice because I had actually stored it on the plane this time. So definitely Perfect. worked out in my favor that time. Yeah. Clearly, carry-on is best. But honestly, you guys, like, sometimes you just need more space. Like, being how, like you know, if you're staying for somewhere for a week, I get it. Carry-on's fine. But, you know, two yeah. weeks, okay, maybe. But two weeks? Has that. Yeah, exactly. Two weeks. And pretty much I'm in the limit I'm at, at two weeks. Anything yeah. past two weeks, you you need some you need a, a check bag. Like, I don't do laundry as well, so basically it's a fresh shirt every day. So you kind of have to factor that in. <laughs> yeah, um, like it's it works for some cases, but sometimes the check bag is unavoidable. But I, I actually yeah. I wanted to tell you guys a story about um, a friend of mine, Josh, who I won't say his last name. I don't know if if he wants the world knowing his last name, but he. Um, he was like an expert at getting air miles and also like taking like very full advantage of all the perks associated with travel. (laughs) So he would like fly on company money, but he would book his flights to have like lots of legs and layovers and things to like maximize his air miles because he liked to travel and he wanted to get as many because apparently there's like, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't have air miles. I should actually, cause I fly enough. It'd probably be worthwhile for me, but like, I, I don't really know much about it, but there's like lots of levels and there's some like pretty high level perks that you can get if you're really like racking up the points. Yeah. Um, so he was like super into this game of like micromanaging air miles and like really optimizing for them. And another thing I'll always remember that he did is that he loved like kind of hotels and stuff. And he would go to the Vancouver international airport, the Hilton there. And he would kind of like he learned he was like very familiar face. He like kind of got to know some people and he would just eat there and go to the gym all the time, flying or not. He would just kind of like learn how to like sort of skirt through and like act like a passenger and enough to like get free food and gym time. And he I never went with him, but I should have taken him <laughs> up when he offered. So it's funny, you, le- it's funny you mentioned that because the hotel airports are pretty much connected to the airport. So you didn't have to check in or anything like that so anyone can go in and and use and basically be a uh a patreon of their um facilities or you know they're like a registered guest or something like that so i can see where the 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 lax of daisy security comes from because it is public access but at the same time, like the Vancouver airport's so out of the way. <laughs> I know, yeah, it is. And, out of the way. and also, also for the uh, air miles uh, levels, uh, I can speak from experience for not air miles, but Aeroplan, which they are uh, Star Alliance, and there's Star Alliance uh, across the world. Um, so basically, different uh, carriers will be part of that program, or it could be like uh, Cathay Pacific or British Airways, where they have like uh, was it One World, so they can have competing um, uh, partners and stuff like that. So with Star Alliance, you can. There's two ways to get status. One is to rack up the points, which is miles, and the other one is 
how many flights. So if you maximize your connections, so technically a uh, say five thousand mile journey, so Toronto to San Francisco, I think that's around either twenty five hundred or three thousand or something like that. Um, you can do one direct flight for three thousand miles. Let's say that, or you can do, you know, three connections. Which will give you three thousand miles, but it also gives you three connections rather than three flights rather than one flight. So you can have your thresholds and points, or you can have amounted a certain amount of flights instead, and that's probably easier to get status than going the miles. Interesting. Maybe that's what he was doing then. Yeah, it's uh, I, I did that in the past when I was young. I, mean, I just you know. It it takes a toll, dude. Like, <laughs> I rather fly direct nowadays than have a have a layover. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not a fan of flying, so I like get in, fly, get out, be done with it as fast as possible. I'm I'm very much of the mindset: if I can make it there within like a two day drive, I would rather drive than fly. Yeah, unless exactly. I'm on a super tight timeline. Exactly. I'm like I like. I like the notion of traveling. I love airports, but I'm not a big fan of being in a pressurized tube uh, for a long time. So I want to try to minimize that as much as I can. Yeah, you- I I dislike the whole thing. The I don't have a fear of the flight itself, but being like cramped in a tube, having to go through security, like having all the timing stuff. I think my my anxiety just ramps up, and it's it's too much for me. Yeah, I'm always there super early. I always also space out my layout my layovers so I don't risk missing anything, and it's always like then I end up spending so much extra time sitting around in the airport from getting there early and getting through security and all that, that it's like it, unless it's a super far flight, it's usually not saving me any time. And then I also don't have a car when I get to the place unless I need a rental. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Question for you, Will, though. Yeah. Speaking of airports, how clean were the airports nowadays and how busy were they? So that's a good question. They felt pretty empty. So Dallas-Fort Worth, we were there a lot. We got to know that airport pretty well. I think I could probably walk you guys through, in my mind's eye, like the whole of the airport, or at least the terminal that we were in, because we were there for so long. And it felt pretty clean because there was lots of like COVID activity. And it seems like they have a pretty big complement of like janitors and stuff that, that they it didn't seem like they have less than they would during busy times, but there's just less people. So it, it felt pretty clean. Mm-hmm. The Portland airport is amazing. I love that place. They have like amazing food. They have like voodoo donuts. This great <laughs> nice. place I like called place. like so good, right? And they have this place called Kenny and Zooks, which is a deli that's really good. They have like local kind of smaller business slash chains that are just in portland all in the airport and they often have like performers and stuff like live music i don't know it's just a really classy and quirky and it feels like the city and it's not very far from like good stuff so portland airport is great um and and always a good experience there um toronto the pearson pearson's fine i don't know i what do you think about pearson bing like it's it's just sort of like airport you know like it could yeah it it doesn't have a lot of it's a terminal it's basically yeah. mm-hmm. get checked in, go through security, and you're at the gate. And yeah. I think they they have you know all your usual stuff around convenience stores and restaurants, and then lounge access is hidden away somewhere, like with all airports. So right, yeah, it just seemed like a terminal, yeah. like um, 
like a standard airport terminal. It's not like Amsterdam. That felt like a train station. Like That's it was cool. so busy and cramped. Like it felt like you had to find the right um, tunnel or signage to go to the right gate. And it's like one giant narrow hallway down, like a train station. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about like one of the things that we love is is outdoor activity and stuff. Right. But it, that's hard to do flying because like you can't check so much of what you'd want to check or, you know, it's heavy too. like mm-hmm. you can't, you know, if you want a cook stove, there's no way you're going to transport that. It, things like tents. That's hard, you know. That's a lot of weight. Even if you have like yeah. a really, really light tent, then you've got to check the bag. You got your hiking backpack. I think if you want to fly and camp or do outdoor stuff, I think you basically got to do like an outfitter type of thing. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't really sure. see any other way. Yeah, I think that reminds me of the time I went to Banff to go camping. The only thing I brought really was a sleeping bag uh, on on that trip, and everything else was rented. Like we got there, got our equipment. There's the site had rentals and stuff like that, so that's yeah, that's pretty much the convenience of it. Yeah, and, and that makes a lot of sense. Like, then you know, you just show up, maybe book in advance, and you're off to the races. You don't have to worry about all the logistics. You mm-hmm. kind of get a one-stop shop situation. If any of our listeners have experience flying and camping, I know I haven't done it much. So, um, if if you do know any cool workarounds or tips and tricks to not need to go through an outfitter or maybe minimize the amount of stuff you need to get from an outfitter, um, send us an email or hit us up on Twitter or something. Let us know. Yeah. That actually, before you change the talking, that actually kind of brought something to my mind, which is like knowing the good outfitter is kind of a thing, right? Because like if you go to a place like Thailand, a lot of people are, you know, you, you might, how do you like... If you're not familiar, forget Thailand. Like, if you go anywhere, like Yosemite or any of the big national parks in the states, mm-hmm. for that matter, yeah. How do you know you're going to be getting like a good price, good quality equipment that's you know comfortable? I, I I don't know. Like, I know for what I the park that I know best right now in my life is like Algonquin, and Algonquin Outfitters is great. Like, you, you it's the main one in the park. It's what comes up with the Google. There's a couple of competitors. They're fine too. You maybe you can get lower rates. But, like, you're fine going with a guy point outfitter. You're not going to get ripped off. But I wouldn't bet that's true for, like, the bigger parks in the States. And I wouldn't bet that's true for, like, some of the international destination camping places. Right. So that's another puzzle. Is like, how do you kind of ferret out, like, the best outfitters in your destination? Given that you need one, assuming you're going to go with one, like, how do you find the best one? And how do you kind of, like, make sure you're not going to end up with, like, a 50-pound crapola tent or, like, you know, whatever, just bad equipment? That, that seems important, but... I don't know. So, mm-hmm. listeners, let us know. Yeah, it's always a gamble. Yeah, um, I, w- I would say my my guess, without some amazing user feedback, we're hoping to get um, with better tips, would just be you know try and do some research. I know within the U.S., um, worst case scenario, if you're not super familiar or not comfortable with an area, maybe stick to better known national outlets like you can always go and rent gear from places like rei um, and same with mountain equipment co-op in canada um, or different places like that that are more established um, although if you do know local places um, and you can figure out which ones are good to go to it's always also good to support local business when possible yeah yeah definitely especially if it's around the the park itself right mm-hmm. yeah that's the, that's the challenge like because i don't think you can find like a mech or an rei like 
<laughs> it's like right most there. Parks. <laughs> Although maybe that's I don't know. That would be a good that's business it. for them, frankly. Like they, hey. I, I do know they have REI, I think, and other similar known brands and stuff. I know at least along the AT in different towns and stuff where they know a lot of hikers come through, they put them very accessible with like shuttle services and stuff because they know people are going to be needing to resupply and buy or rent things. Mm, that's very convenient. Um, so they, it's, it's a strategic place to locate. So yeah. it, it shouldn't be too hard to find, um, a well-known outfitter, especially at the bigger parks and stuff. Oh, that's interesting. So Yeah. Uh, going back to flying a little bit, have you guys ever experienced, um, just kind of a panic or fear when you're on the flight? Like I had an experience where, uh, the captain came on and he was like, yeah, there's some mechanical problems and we're going to, you know, land at somewhere unexpected. Have you guys ever had that? No, not, not really. I've had some pretty major turbulence, but nothing, nothing enough that I got too concerned what happened with your thing bing that sounds terrifying yeah that sounds like a very specific example <laughs> yeah <laughs> well it was a flight to europe uh it was to geneva and um basically we we're flying out of toronto everything was cool and everything until we got to around like new brunswick or around gaspe area uh in quebec uh and the captain comes on and he was like it's like, yeah, we have a mechanical issue, so we're gonna make a detour in St. John's, Newfoundland. So we're gonna make, uh, we're gonna do a checkup there, and yeah, stretch your legs a little bit. It's like, okay, cool. Um, you know, better uh, check it than be sorry when you're in the middle of the Atlantic. Uh, so it, basically, the journey kept going, and uh, I was looking at the flight map. We got to St. John's, and then we passed St. John's through the Atlantic. I'm like, hmm, they missed their spot. I wonder what's <laughs> up. And the captain hasn't come on yet. Um, they kept going. I was like, okay, this is kind of concerning. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe we are okay and it fixed itself. But then you had that lingering feeling in the back of your mind. It's like, hey, what if there is a mechanical problem and it was just like a, a false positive or maybe it's like a, it triggered the, the sensor went off or something like that, even though there's still a problem. So there's always that concern in the back of my mind, uh, flying over the Atlantic where <laughs> something, mm -hmm. something bad might happen. Um, and then the captain never came on to kind of, you know, providing closure or anything. It's like, Hey, it's like, yeah, we're in Switzerland now we're landing soon. So yeah, get ready. <laughs> I'm like, what? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess it's fine. <laughs> it's like, okay. Sure. Yeah. That's slightly concerning. Okay. Oh. Yeah. No worse for wear, though. I think the most concerning thing I've ever had on a flight was um, one time I was on flying to South Carolina. Um, I used to fly to Augusta, Georgia, which is the closest airport to my dad's, which is this tiny little, like, I think it's got two terminals. Mm. It's just like a room, like a brick room, right? There's a security gate into one large room. Um, that right. Uh, it's not big enough that it has the, like, arms that go out to the plane, like the run, whatever the, what are the things called? Um, uh, the like runway things? Yeah, the, the walkways? Yeah. Anyway, whatever they're called, they don't have those. So you just walk out to the tar on the tarmac and yeah. climb the steps into the plane. Oh, cool. Uh, no matter what kind of plane it is. Um, but we were on this little plane coming over from wherever the layover was, probably like Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, fairly empty plane, and I'm near the back. Um, I think I might be in the very back row. 
and there's I was probably like 19 or 20 at the time um, and I was flying down because I was working I was in university and I was working with my dad for the summers flying down to visit um, and there's a woman in front of me who throughout the fight flight in you know, like an hour flight met orders like four drinks uh, all alcoholic <laughs> and is already kind of buzzing when she gets on and spends like the last 30 minutes of the flight very very obviously hitting on me no uh, the entire like very very blatant um i think she said something along the lines of um and and this is where if you have small children listening you might want to skip ahead a little bit uh, but she said something along the lines of uh she she doesn't care about she doesn't care about age she'll sleep with anyone as long as they're cool and then she paused for like a second and goes winks and says you seem pretty cool oh god it's <laughs> awkward and the, the worst part is the whole time i'm sitting there and like it was one of those where as i sat down on the plane i kind of had to pee right and the whole time i'm sitting there thinking i'm waiting till this plane lands because i don't want to risk her trying to follow me to the bathroom <laughs> oh god it was the most uncomfortable flight for both the her hitting on me and the, the me body. needing to go to the bathroom the whole time. <laughs> it was the most terrifying flight I've ever been on. Yeah, I can you know what's, see that. You know what's funny? She, I wonder she what was the flight also probably. She was probably also in her forties, oh, and I was, I think, nineteen. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, you were in the back of the plane, so I wonder what the flight attendants would have thought throughout the entire flight. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> That reminds me, on the flight back from Portland, um, there was a person... Yeah, what happened like, to that story? Yeah, so basically, the, the flight back was pretty uneventful. Like, we had to go through customs, we were worried about it, but it turned out to be totally chill. Like, we had both of our vaccines, and they basically said, once you get your negative arrival test, you're free to go, no quarantine, no self-isolation, nothing. Yes, which is good. Much, yeah, much more relaxed than I thought, because like even a couple of weeks before then, we would have had to do the hotel quarantine and everything. Um so that was pretty chill. But one thing that happened on the way back was like I was sitting like way in the back, like the seat like 36 or something out of like 40. There was like one row behind me and behind me, kind of kitty corner behind me, there was this guy. I didn't notice when we boarded, but at some point, like as we kind of towards the end of the flight, he started like coming up, like waking up and he was like very drunk or something like really out of it. And he started going like. Oh geez, it's killing me! My like, but really, way too like comically loud, like a Muppet or something, like just being like, <laughs> "My knees killing me!" Oh my god, I'm in. And, but it kind of kept going, and then it started. He started to get kind of like he tried to like get up to get off the plane, and eventually the flight attendant had to like stand in at the at, like to prevent him from getting out of his seat, and it got into like a kind of a thing where, they, but the guy was like not making a lot of sense, and he was like you're just like a six-year-old you're like a little kid trying to bully me like you can't do that and he's and the flight attendant was like sir i need you to sit down and it was just like he was like really comical but also kind of it was kind of like i hope this doesn't escalate but it was fine like i think he was just drunk maybe because it sounded like he had like a bunch of beer cans which raises the right. question of like how would you get like a bunch of beer cans into the airport airplane <laughs> but, yeah I that is know. an interesting question yeah. that is very interesting that because i don't think they sell that stuff at the airport like you can't yeah. 
Yeah, who knows? Maybe he went to the bar and was like, hey, fill up this flask. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know what it was. But I definitely heard something, like, rattling around. And he was doing a lot of, like, organizing something metallic. So I just assumed it was, like, empty beer cans. But, you know, you can't really see a lot. It's, like, very dark because that was a red-eye flight, like, an overnight flight right. to Chicago. Was it direct? Oh, okay, it's Chicago. No, we ended up in Chicago. We had, like, an eight-hour layover in Chicago, which was really fun. We had no sleep. We were, like laughing hysterically oh, and at like nothing because we were just so sleep deprived and we ended up we had this whole day planned we were going to like take a the train into town into chicago and we we're going to go be a tourist down at like millennium park at the millennium bean and all that and then go yeah. get breakfast or no and then we we're going to ride a, a ferry there's like these like ferry boat things you can take yep. to, to get breakfast uh this like hipster breakfast spot and then we we're going to take an uber back to the airport and it was pouring rain the entire time and we were <laughs> oh, so no. tired we like couldn't like make plans and like we were having trouble with like google maps we had like a, we, we were yeah we were just out of it because we were so tired and it was really funny and we we went and got we ended up like getting breakfast at this place that they're famous for their breakfast pizza and we got there and we tried to order the breakfast pizza because that was like on our phone as like what to get there and the right. the the guy was like what are you talking about like he acted like he had no idea and we're like we just read this on the thing like he's i don't even know what a breakfast pizza is why would i make that up <laughs> but he made it sound like we had just come out out of nowhere but then it was that turned out all right like we had a good breakfast there and my favorite part about it was we got these like bloody marys and they came with these like tiny cute little miller high life uh, bottles and um it was just kind of a fun experience and it, it, did we you have, get like, the pizza no, but another funny thing <laughs> was that the Bloody Marys were like very tomatoey. They weren't like spicy or sharp the way they are sometimes right. in Canada, um, and, or the way I'm used to them. And they 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 were garnished with like cheese and pepperoni, so they were like eat like a liquid pizza. And today just made that observation, <laughs> oh and I, I like couldn't stop laughing. Maybe that's the I was breakfast like, pizza. Yeah, that's the breakfast pizza. It was like drinking a pizza. I don't. Today said that it was like so perfect and we were so tired. I was like crying, laughing for so long. And it, for some reason, I just found it hysterical. Um, it's not really that funny, but it's kind of funny. So, yeah, um, that was fun. And then we got back hey, to the airport. And... If you ever need a liquid diet, you know how to get pizza. Yeah. Go mm. to Rouse in uh, Chicago and order the Bloody Mary. And it's basically shout out to Rouse a pizza. And, and yeah. don't call it the breakfast pizza because yeah. they won't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that was yeah. bizarre to me. Well, that that sounds definitely like the type of thing that is all mindset too. Because I could see you telling that exact same story with a different tone of voice and being like the whole thing being upset that you know super tired we couldn't do anything it was raining so we couldn't do the stuff we wanted and you know they didn't have a breakfast pizza but i mean it sounds like you guys made the best of it and ended up enjoying it so maybe that's that's a good message to go out on is really with all trips and all adventures it's the positive mindset i think can go a long way into making a bust into you know a great little adventure yeah maybe we could uh, make that into like a trailbuster slogan like if you can't get a breakfast pizza, just order the Bloody Mary. You never know. Yeah, and everyone will know what we mean. <laughs> <laughs> and put cheese in it. Uh, anyways, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, make sure to tell your friends about our podcast and spread the word. Uh, if you're not already subscribed, go ahead and subscribe. Follow us on all social media. We are The Trailbusters. You can find us at thetrailbusters.com. Um, you can subscribe to our podcast on any podcasting platform. Until next time, I'm Ethan. I'm Bing. And I'm Will. And we'll see you on the trail. Meow.
Wait, that's a race car. Alright, do we want to do like a quirky intro thing, or do we just want to do the regular intro and go? I want Bing to do the pilot voice. <laughs> that's my vote. Okay. This is your captain speaking. We're about to fly over a patch of turbulent air. Please refrain from fastening your seatbelt. No, wait. Fasten your seatbelt and put on your shoes because we're going on another hike. That was bad. Let me do it again. Do it again. Do it again. But I love it. That was brilliant. I love it. Go for it.